This is In Search of Tracks podcast, and we'll come running to tie your shoe. I'm Pete. I'm Bob. I, I definitely would come running to tie your shoe. Yeah, mine or just what? the audience in general? Um, Yours. And I mean... I appreciate that. I mean, a solid like a solid 75% of the audience and maybe like 100% if they ask nicely. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think... I uh, I think I have more respect for our audience than you you do because I would run to tie all their shoes. But if I was like on the boardwalk and I saw some rando, I might just yell at them that their shoes untied. I wouldn't <laughs> run to do anything. I don't think. <laughs> um, yo, how you doing today? I'm all right. Um, it's getting a little colder here. I mean. We're recording this much earlier than all of you are going to be hearing it, but it's mm. uh, it's just now getting a little cold in New Jersey, which is the seasons are changing. It's interesting. So I had a uh, a bowl of Trader Joe's chili for dinner mm. to like warm things up a little bit. You know, I love it. I love it. I had um, what did I have for dinner? So the night of our recording is the night where <clears throat> my son has basketball practice from six to seven so i usually make him dinner around 4 30 so he has a early dinner and then when we get home he has fourth meal though it's not taco bell tonight it was like oatmeal just something to eat because he gets real hungry afterwards uh, before bed um but uh i don't know that i had a proper dinner i did get some swiss cheese at the deli <laughs> and uh Pete, I gotta admit, there was a brownie in the case that was calling my name. So that I guess that counts kind of as my dinner. Yeah, that counts. It wasn't. It. I have spoiler alert. It wasn't great. Um, <laughs> it looked awesome. Um, <laughs> typically, I'm not a frosting on a brownie guy, but I recently had one that was really good, so I opted for that. The brownie was probably three days too old. Yeah, sometimes you got to live on the edge, and uh, sometimes you fall on your face. It just happens. Yo, it's it, it is what it is, man. You know, you know, like uh, things, you got to take risks. Happen. You got to take risks. Um, which is a nice segue into today's record, Pete. Why don't we get into it? It is um, today. We're going to talk about Brian Eno's um, "Another Green World," uh, which is one that I think. We've had a lot of requests for Brian Eno, actually. Really? We have. Okay. We've had a lot of people asking us to do basically anything Krautrock related. Um, and that usually goes along with like Brian Eno. They'll say like something Krautrock and Brian Eno. We've had a few of those. So um, we have some Krautrock stuff, stuff lined up. But I thought we'd jump into Brian Eno first. And this, I think, is probably considered the quintessential Brian Eno record, although I don't know, you could consider a few of them, I guess. Um, but we decided to go with this one. So here we are. Here we are. Let me give my familiarity with Brian Eno. Uh, slim to none. Um, this is where I'm expecting you to be like, I got into Brian Eno when I was like 11. <laughs> and I'm slim like, to none, really though? Like, like you don't, like nothing. Was this, had you heard this record before? Had not heard this record before. Okay. Um, like, let me think about what I have dove in with him on. Like, 
Have you heard the Microsoft him. like boot up music from not Windows? Yeah, 95? yeah, of course, of course. Is Brian, that you know Brian that's Eno? a Brian Eno track. That's my favorite Brian Eno song until I heard this record. Um, <laughs> no, um, familiar with who he was, but never dove into his music. I'm sure I'd heard stuff, but like, also to be honest. I don't think I have a friend who has talked to me about their love of Brian Eno. So I'm willing to bet I have a couple friends who I'm thinking of specifically who are fans, like maybe big time fans, but it's just never come up. Um, So I'm excited to have a chance to talk about it. Tell me about where you got your start on Brian Eno. I've been listening to him since I was 11. Um, No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. Um, I, uh, no, but I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have been surprised. You're, you're, you have some frog in your some DNA, froggy you know? weirdness. Yeah, no, my dad was not a you know guy. Um, although one of my dad's friends randomly mentioned to me the other day, uh, Brian Eno's uh, cards that he has this set of cards called the Oblique yeah. Strategies. Yes, and he was like, "Oh, I got one of these cards." I was like, "I would never expect that." But anyway, that's tangential. Um, <laughs> uh, I didn't know of him until i mean i knew the name you know for a while i just never knew what it was all about and then i think it was maybe like my freshman year in college Mm -hmm. i was at amoeba records with uh my old friend anthony and we were just going through stuff i think we were were going through the tape section Mm -hmm. and there was a tape of brian eno's um taking taking tiger taking tiger mountain by strategy um, which is the record before another green world. Mm-hmm. And it was like two bucks. And he was like, Pete, do you have this? Do you know anything about this? And I was like, no. And he was like, you gotta just buy this and listen to it. And I was like an instant fan. So cool. yeah, I went deeper from there, but yeah, I've been a fan really since then. All right. I love it. Um, <clears throat> let me, uh, let me throw out a few questions just to kind of like, you know, light the fire. I actually came up with some questions for you too. Oh, I love it. All right. Um, yeah. let's go back and forth. I'll start. Cool. Uh, what would you, what genre of music would you qualify Brian Eno's another green world? Um, experimental art pop. Okay. I'm with that. <laughs> I don't really know. Like, I don't know what to say because it's, it's basically if if you have not heard this record, I think five of the songs have vocals on them. Mm-hmm. The rest are most are all instrumental songs. Yes, correct. Um, some of which are not just instrumental, but like I heard I, I read someone refer to them as imagistic songs, meaning like mm-hmm. he came up with a title and then he essentially or or he made a sound you know with with any number of instruments and said in his head this sound sounds like this thing and then would name the song after that thing um which is just entirely like a like noise experiment really yes sound sound experiment for sure yeah so so i don't i don't really know but that's that's my close that's as close as i can get what about you what what do you think you'd call it yeah i mean um it's atmospheric proto ambient um s- soundtrack score um yeah. 
<clears throat> music and and uh, you know twinges of of that like art pop that it makes it interesting because it falls you know, I think it falls dead center in the seventies. But you could have put this record ten years earlier, ten years later, uh, and it would have. I probably wouldn't have blinked an eye. Yeah. Sixty-five, I might have gone a little early, but I, if you said sixty-nine, I'd be like, "Huh, weird." Okay, eighty-five <laughs> like way ahead of its I, time. Yeah, and eight, but eighty-five, I'd be like, "Yeah, okay, sure." You know what I yeah. mean? There's a few elements, especially on the vocal tracks, that'd be like, "Oh, that's a kind of feels a little." out of time but not totally mm-hmm. um so anyways um yeah it's somewhere in there it's it it's yes we'll get into more of my feelings but it's it's evocative at the very least it's it's got a lot going on with the music um yeah you had a question you have some questions well i just want actually on this one oh, okay. um so what's the ideal scenario for listening to this record and what context are you listening to this um that's a literally fantastic question um because i listened to this so to give my experience i listened to this record four and a half times because the first time i listened to it i was walking around the mall at like noon and i only got about halfway and my daughter was uh tripping out so i had who's very small so um uh, when a baby is screaming, it's not the best time to listen to a record. Um, <laughs> nor is it. Uh, it was 10 a.m. So um, while while many people were lined up to buy PlayStation Fives, uh, some of whom were sleeping in sleeping bags since like two in the morning. They're still lining um, up for PlayStation Fives. Didn't that come out like a year ago? Yeah, Pete, the chip shortage. <laughs> of course. Um, <laughs> By the way, I casually walked up to the the GameStop afterwards, and I was like, "As the the, the people who had been lined, they had bought it, but then the, the late arrivers in line who had still waited for hours were wrapping up." And I'm like, "Oh, you got PS fives?" And they're like, "Yeah, you want to buy one?" I'm like, "I don't know, what's the deal?" And he's like, and "I was like, do you got a bunch?" He's like, "I got some." And I was like, "So I could just jump in line now and get one?" And he's like, "Yeah." I'm like, <laughs> and then he told me how much it would cost and what it was, and I'm like. I don't have time to play a PlayStation 4, let alone a 5. So um, so that's not the ideal situation. Uh, my la- Then I listened to it on the boardwalk. Um, not ideal, but I could separate some of it and say it could work. Yeah, I would think that would work somewhat. Uh, it, I'll, I'll get specific. I think it would work on the most of the vocal tracks and maybe two of the uh, no vocal tracks. Okay. Um, sunny day, sunny but brisk fall day on the boardwalk works. Cool. Um, if you want the best experience for it, I would say, because then I, I, my final listen, I was listening to it walking around in the dark in 40 degree weather, and it's starting <laughs> to get really cold out here in these streets, folks. <clears throat> um, and it was good, but I was like, ooh, you know what? Some of this music's a little too dark um, to be listening to by yourself walking on the streets because you sort of you sort of give like a creep vibe so um sure. i would recommend that uh dusk at the boardwalk um so you get a little bit of the sun you get golden hour into the uh the darkening of the evening i'd say that's the best time best setting All right. what about you perfect um god so i've listened to this one in a lot of different contexts i i think the best is just 
I would think that like, yeah, dusk sounds about right. Walking around headphones, listen, yes. sounds going down. Um, I also, I have it on vinyl and listening to it just loud hanging out in your, in your layer is, uh, is nice. So those work um, for me. Can you put this record on at a party? No, I would not advise. I would advise against that. <laughs> it has to be a really specific kind of party. Like there might be a weird strobe light and someone doing like, um, interpretive dance in a corner. <laughs> And like yeah. it might be a, it might be a <laughs> like living room art gallery style thing happening as well. Like it's an art showing, but you're like, yeah, but this is just at your house, and it's like, yeah, I know. Yeah, um, it's so. like if my if my friend that works at the MoMA has a party anytime soon, maybe I'll recommend that he put this one on. Yo, I have a friend who works at MoMA. Let's let's uh, oh, there we go. On that, we'll get. Um, we need to go to some MoMA parties. All right. Um, <laughs> is this record? Super weird, a little weird, not that weird, or no, not at all. Um, it depends on who's hearing it. I mean, I think that overall, I'd say it's super weird. Um, for the yeah. general music listener, it's definitely super weird. Um, if you have any familiarity with like weird music, though, it doesn't come off as that weird in 2021. That's my short yeah, answer. I, I, I largely agree with that. I think it's it's really weird, but you really need to paint context to understand it and uh, and get to why it feels like that. Um, all right, let's. Uh, Can I give? I'm gonna in. I'm gonna oh, give please. a brief a brief Eno introduction, just in case oh, you don't please. know Thank much you. about him Thank at all. You. So, British composer, musician, producer, visual artist. Um, he has released easily over 50 albums, but somehow considers himself a non-musician. Um, he started playing music with Roxy Music, actually. He was on the first two Roxy Music albums. Mm -hmm. um, he still produces records. He still releases artwork and music. Um, he does installations. He does all kinds of stuff. Um, if you're old enough, like I said, to have a computer in the mid nineties. Um, he was responsible for the theme song windows 95. Mm -hmm. Um, but then as a producer, he's like secretly super active. Um, he produced the first Devo album. He produced talking heads. He produced grace Jones. He also produced like a cold play album that came out a few years ago. He's produced Paul Simon. Um, and then on top of that, he basically, single-handedly created the genre of ambient music yeah so he's like a pretty active dude who like his fingerprints are all over like music in 2021 his his impact is kind of it's something that's so it's so profound that it's hard to even put a finger on it frankly um but yeah he's a dude if 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 you go down the rabbit hole on Eno, there's a lot there so then let me give my final question. Is this a good starting point for people? I think it is. I think it's a great starting point. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is too. Um, okay. Uh, let's talk about this record. I, I think it's really fascinating. I think going into the track by track is actually kind of a cool way to really get into this. Um, before we do, last point. Is this a pivotal point in his career it's kind of not but it's it's like 
it's is this like opening salvo into something that would build into a much bigger you know career so to say i mean i i kind of think it is like so maybe i'm sure he did some music before roxy music but i'm not aware of what it was um roxy music obviously became very big very popular mm-hmm. um the first two Roxy music, I mean, I think all the Roxy music records are great, but the first two with him on it sound specific to me. Like you can hear his influence. So if you're, if you're an Eno fan, it's worth listening to those records. Mm-hmm. Um, this is his third solo album. Um, the first two had, had vocals on them. They were basically like art pop records. Um, so like any of the songs on this with vocals sound more or less like what he was doing on those previous records mm-hmm. somewhat, you know, but this is the first one where he really started experimenting. Apparently he went into the, the studio with nothing written. Um, he was using the, this, this card deck that he came up with that I mentioned before called oblique strategies, which really yes. like every single card basically has like an idea on it more or less. So, you know, I, I wish I had it in front of me, but it'll say something that'll, that that's supposed to just spark. Like it's, it's supposed to encourage you to think in a, in a way differently from how you would typically think. Right. So it's like, right. It's, 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 it's just meant to kind of get the creative juices flowing. So mm-hmm. he was using those cards apparently to come up with a lot of these songs um, he had a lot of collaborators in the studio with him that he had worked with before, like Robert Fripp and Phil Collins, for example, two big names, obviously. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, like I mentioned, only five of these songs have vocals on them. The rest of them have, are, are all instrumental. So he was kind of starting to toy with what would inevitably become kind of his ambient genre stuff which he has now like 10 20 albums of just fully instrumental music so um it became like a thing for him that he definitely kind of delved into a lot more later so it does feel kind of pivotal for me in the way that he was getting away from like the vocal kind of pop stuff that he was doing and going Mm -hmm. in a more experimental direction so yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's kind of the signature here. And it feels like you're. <sighs> this does feel like the start of the race um, for what I know of this dude's career and what I've learned about. It's like, okay, you know, so of this record, I don't know how many songs, but there's five that have vocals, which is less than, I mean, less than half um, significantly. I think it's, is this 12, 14 songs, something like that? Um, yeah, 14. Yep. So, so nine songs, no vocals, five songs with vocals, and we'll kind of get into that, but you can see a difference and you can feel a difference. And there's a few points when listening where you can kind of see that the songs with vocals, um, are doing things differently than the songs without. And, I think a lot about what Brian Eno was probably thinking about creatively and he was trying to break some structures, but at the same time, especially when you have a song with vocals and vocal melodies and stuff, it's really easy to just 
be like, I can't, I can't not do this. I can't not do this form or this structure. Um, whereas with the instrumental work, um, there's a lot less form to it, um, for, for lack of another word. And I, I think that that is something that is makes this both an interesting listen and creates a, a different feel between the songs with vocals and the songs without. And at the best point, which is, I think, later on in the record as far as the vocal tracks, you see that the vocal track is pulling in influences from the instrumental-only tracks and trying to weave something that flows with the whole record. So I think that's cool. Um, track by track. Let's do it. Shall we? Yeah. Starting it off, Sky Saw. this is the first time you've heard this record like what hit you about this one um so first blush it's like wait what the hell am i in for here (laughs) this is much harsher and noisier than i anticipated for what i thought i was gonna get it's a harsh opening yeah and let me just point it out i'm cutting this song i don't i don't even oh wow straight don't vibe on this song um because I don't even think that it flows with the rest of the record. Um, I think the vocals are pretty minimal here, but also completely forgettable. And I, this is the song where I, I, even on repeated listen, I'm I'm like, I'm not feeling this, and it's not evoking anything from me, other than it doesn't feel tuneful. Mm-hmm. It isn't. Um, it isn't moving me and the song itself doesn't really undulate so I, it doesn't get me at all where are you at on it that's so interesting yeah I mean it's it's definitely a harsh way to start the record I this is this is going to be a record for me that it's, it's hard to separate because I've I've heard it a lot at this point but so I kind of for me like this is just the first track on this record so I can't cut it um that being said, I don't particularly love it, especially compared to a lot of the other songs on the album. And I definitely agree with you that it doesn't feel like it fits in with the rest of the record. The rest of the record is is much more listenable, even like at its at its weirdest and most experimental. It's more listenable and easy on the yes. ears in this song. Correct. Um, part of me is just like maybe it was intentional. Maybe you wants wanted to start off super weird. Um, well, well, that's that's the thing. It, it it feels 
patently intentional or like it was totally lost on it because it's such this is uh, an iceberg in the bay. You know what I mean? Like everything else is running smooth. Just watch out for the iceberg. It's like when you start a record off like this and then the rest of the record proceeds to not have any even. I dare someone to find a moment on tracks two through 14 that harken back to or or reference or even audibly feel like Sky Saw. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that said, if this was the record like Sky Saw and then there was other variants or iterations or plays on it and this was the sound, I'm probably not game for that either. <laughs> but I could have seen that and I actually think like, if you isolate this song, I'm like, yo, this is probably pretty influential on some weird noise shit from the eighties. You know what I mean? And like early noise shit. I think this is kind of there. So I thought it was a really poor choice as an opener. I think it's a poor choice for the record to be really harsh here (laughs) because it just starts out. um, So far afield from the rest of the record. I mean, th- that all makes sense to me. Um, yeah. Do you know who played on this song? Uh, no. Is this the one with Phil Collins? So Phil Collins is on drums. John Cale from the Velvet Underground is on viola. And Paul Rudolph from the Pink Fairies is playing on it, too. Wow. Yeah. It's wild. And yet they made this noisy, weird song. So, hey. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it, knowing the players is interesting, and then maybe you could say that adds in some dynamic. But I don't, I don't know. I, yeah, it doesn't I think change it, anything. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't change, change anything. It's, it's, it. it's, it's, it's just like it's it's funny to me because I I feel like you know all of these guys come from certainly weird bands too, and I imagine them all having a really good time coming up with weird songs oh. in the studio together, you know, like this is probably their favorite moment on the whole thing, I imagine. But, you know, in, yeah. the, in the context of the record, I like the song, but in the context of the record, I agree with you. It doesn't, it doesn't really, it doesn't give you like one of the things we've mentioned before. I think what I think makes a good opening song is something that kind of gives you, it has a lot of dynamic and might give you a taste of like different elements that like, they're nope. going to expound upon at different points in the record. And this doesn't do any of that except for like the overall kind of weirdness of it. But, but even that it's like a different kind of weird from what you hear on the rest of this record. Yeah, no, I, I yes, correct. Exactly. Right. Um, so I am, uh, I, I, for our 2022 goals, we need to get a, some vocal effects and soundboard stuff. Cause I would put in the like, all right, um, Phil, uh, Brian, uh, <laughs> guys, uh, this track is a cut. Let's just keep it moving. I don't even think we need to spend any more time on this. No, no, I don't think you can do better. I, I think this one's just trash. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> track two. Let's go. Over Fire Island. Should have been the opener. Tone setter. Boom. Yeah, tone setter for sure. Yeah. I By the way... You. This is a this is a very like I think when people hear some of the words we use to talk about this record um, and even the genre like ambient or like atmospheric music or instrumental 
I typically associate longer track run, the track times. Um, yeah. Is this song like a minute and a half? Maybe not yes. even. It's one fifty. Right, yo, um, dude wasn't playing. He got to it and kind of like keeps it moving almost across the whole album. But I felt like this was like this really efficient, quick way to bring you into the record and set the tone. Again, this is the first instrumental track. It feels into itself unique and has its own thing going on. But the biggest note for me is that it comes and goes like that. And all of a sudden you're into the next song. Yeah, it goes by quick. Like when I said it was 150, I just checked and I was surprised that it was that long because it feels like it's 30 seconds long to me. Because I think there's a a, the the intro clip of it. And that's something we should consider and actually like maybe notate as we listen on certain instrumental songs. There's interlude or or at the beginning of the song, there's anywhere from 5 to 15 to 20 seconds where it's kind of just white sound, you know, like nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for a song that's a minute 49, 20 seconds is a lot. 10 seconds is a decent fraction of that, you know? <laughs> so yeah. So the lack of it um, actually plays in. So I, I actually thought it was a really good intro. And, and on my repeat listens hitting that i was like okay here we are now we're moving in yeah no i think it would have been a great opener i but even where it's placed i think it's a great bridge song from sky saw even if you know i like sky saw again but like and just so everyone knows when we're when we say instrumental and we say you know like minimalist it's it's not necessarily sounds that you've heard before i mean this is like early tape loops this is like you know, lots of weird synthesizer effects. It's not like, um, you know, acoustic guitar or something like that. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting sounds that most certainly had an impact at the time. And I think still have an impact, but that's just kind of a tangential thing. I'm with it. Um, All right. Next song, St. Elmo's fire. So this one, uh, Robert Fripp and Brian Eno, who Robert Fripp, if you don't know from King Crimson, uh, he also did the iconic guitar lead on the David Bowie song Heroes. Um, mm-hmm. If you if yes. you think of if you think of that guitar riff, that's like what Fripp does um, yes. for Bowie and for Eno. Um, not as much in King Crimson. He gets a little weirder in King Crimson, but um, this is one of the songs with vocals. I think it's like one of the highlights of the album. There's a lot of really subtle complexities here that like really make it shine and it's super catchy. I think this is like a a great track. I was actually surprised that this is not one of the top listened to Eno songs on Spotify when I checked, but yeah. Yeah, I think this song, which is one of his songs with vocals. Yeah. um, Low-key has like some pop rock elements of its time, but also certain elements of stuff that's way, way later down. Like there's elements of indie and alt that are like 20 years down the line that at least in the vocals I could hear. Like, is it crazy for me to say like a neutral milk hotel fan could come to this song and be like, Oh, I dig this. Yeah. 
You know what I, I mean? Think, like, I think any fan of like contemporary indie music can are going to dig this record really, or this song at least this song, at least in this record and in at large, that's such an interesting question. Oh man. Because I think, hmm. so this is a grower, not a shower. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Definitely. You know, like this There's is this record. Here. Yeah. And, and <sighs> so the one thing this record has going for it is that outside of sky saw, it is a very easy, uh, it goes down easy. You could play this in an office space and nobody's going to get mad. Um, somebody might be, there's a couple tracks where people be like, you playing Halloween music here, bro. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think a song like this is, it's, it's, it's flows. It's, there is someone who would look at this record and think of it as a, the instrumental, like, the instrumental songs are a vehicle for this grip of songs with vocals. I almost look at it as two records that have some interplay together and they don't totally align. They don't work. They don't puzzle piece up, but sort of the fact that they don't makes it more interesting. Cause I, I as we go forward, I, I truly enjoy the instrumental tracks. Like I think it's great. Oh, yeah. And I think those are, um, exceed the brilliance of the vocal tracks, but this song's good. This is a good song. I come to it. Um, I think it's it's not my favorite of the vocals, the songs with vocals, but mm-hmm. it's a good one. So, cool. All right, next track. In dark trees. This is, this is yeah i mean this is actually one of the one of the first ones that i think does kind of harken back to sky saw and that it's like definitely a darker vibe it's not as like i guess jarring as sky saw is but it's it's it has that kind of darkness to it um it has darkness but the 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 musical tone is so different in that it's different it's yeah. dark it's creepy it's twisted um, this was the uh, you know what I I shouldn't be walking around in the dark listening to this like if it was <laughs> if it was one of those things where someone could walk up to you and be like what do you listen to and they could hear it they'd be like oh you're a weirdo what are you doing you know like <laughs> come on um, I think it's really good it's haunting it sticks with you um, the the biggest thing to me was tonally how it um, how it comes off of St. Elmo's Fire, and it, it isn't a natural flow-off. It works, but it's not natural. And it, that's one of the things that, like when I said, it doesn't always feel like it aligns. 
the record flows in spaces and at others it feels like it's a and now for something completely different and this was almost a now for something completely different Mm -hmm. yeah i mean we'll get into that with the flow i i i think that i give this record a lot of space just because it's it's intentionally such an experimental album um you know 100 and i mean that's why when you talked about this dude's career where he basically creates ambient music Yo, this is this this is like this is the seed, you know. Yeah, for uh, sure. He, he didn't know where to plant it at first, <laughs> and then right. then he figured like, it out, and all of a sudden he's got a farm. Yeah, exactly. It's like no one's ever done this. Like, should I put vocals on this or like how did I don't know? But yeah, I think the choice not to is both bold and Lance. So I, I, you know, like what would his vocals, as we know them from the other songs of this album, do on a song like this? Well, yeah, and I mean, let's be honest, not a particularly great singer, right? Like, kind of monotone. Like, there's not much dynamic you can, he really has with his vocals. So, at a certain point, you have to kind of lean into your strengths. No, and and there was a point, I believe it was the first part of Golden Hours, which we'll get to later, (laughs) where I'm like, oh, man, Uh, there's parts where he sounds... um, at his best, he sounds a bit John Lennon-ish or flat yeah. in tone. At his worst, he sounds Ringo-ish. So that's <laughs> not great. So anyways, Dark Trees, I, I really love this song and thought tonally, I, uh, I I think it was all of a sudden the record is starting to be, vi- it's starting to pull things out of you and it's being evocative. And when music can do that, especially music without lyrics or vocals, uh, you're on to something. Yeah. Next song, The Big Ship. Um, um, go ahead. No. <laughs> um, this is my favorite song on the record. Oh, okay, good. I, I like it a lot. Track. Um, this is like maybe one of my favorite instrumental songs ever. Oh, interesting. Okay. I, um, I think it's a really good song. I think it's sort of the inversion of In Dark Trees. It's okay. not the opposite, but it's like you you flip the the genes inside out, um, in that it it almost feels like triumph music, like crawling up out of the muck. Yeah. Um. Again, like playing with different different uh, style and tone, but mostly this whole record is playing with sounds, and um, at this point. And I actually was happy. I think the fact that there's a sense of brevity in the songs enables me not to get tired of that playfulness. Like mm-hmm. I, my note was at this point, playing with the sounds is engaging because I was almost anticipating listening through and be like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I gotcha. Brian Eno, chill, chill. We got it. Weird sounds. Snake yeah. guitar. Got it. Got it. But I never got there. And yeah, this is it, a highlight. It, I uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point, though. I mean, when I think about ambient music now, I think of like exhausting twenty-minute soundscapes. Whereas with this, it's like these little bite-sized portions that, like, like the big ship. Honestly, I could listen to a twenty-minute version of this, but like, he doesn't give it to me. I'm sure that someone's made like a supercut of it on YouTube where I can listen to it for twenty-five hours, <laughs> like the loop. Yeah, the loop. Yeah, but like, but like he didn't make it that way and it's 
it kind of benefits because it's not that it's like whatever it is like a two and a half minute song instead yeah no um, i'm with it I, I agree like huge huge credit and i'll also say like sometimes if i'm going to something like that ambient or just like background really low key music i don't care if the tracks are 12 to 18 minutes long the fact that he doesn't hear is cool because he's he's sticking to like even by by standards of the time like it's a longer record not super long but it's like 40 minutes but the the run times on the songs are not long for 1975 yeah. they're actually quite short so yeah um next song right, i'll ship. come running I'll come running I'll come running to tie your shoe, tie your shoelace. Um, <laughs> so vocal song, this one, I thought uh, that the repetition in it is really fun. Um, I hope that's the last time I say fun. Uh, it works really well. Um, it was interesting. And this is where I was saying the difference between some of the songs with vocals and without. There's some pretty tr- traditional tempos and vocal stuff going on here. The varied instrumentation instrumentation throughout the song gives it a lot of different textures, and you can see sort of how that's kind of he's still picking at same some of the same scabs as he picks at with the instrumental stuff. Like, okay, okay, well, how can I separate this? How can I make this feel different? Mm-hmm. Um, because there's points in this where it feels purely pop early. But then you kind of about halfway through, it gets a very rock song texture, you know? Yeah. Um, this might be, I think this is probably maybe easily his best vocal performance. I think it's hands down the best vocal song on the record. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I was going to say, and I think that makes it the best vocal song on the record. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is like, um, I used to put this on mixtapes and mm. it's a great, great mixtape song, by the it's way. It's a deep cut. I th- it's it, a deep cut. I think it's a deep cut. Um, I'm not super familiar, but I think it's catchy in a way that people would take to it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, I just like, I love this song. I, it has a special place in my heart and I think like, I love the, the Fripp guitars on it. Um, the lyrics are cute. Um, I don't know. I think it's super catchy. I think the pacing is really good. Um, I did find out just reading about this, that apparently he wrote the lyrics to these songs. Like, like he would have the song and then he would just kind of hum how he thought the, the vocals should sound. And then he would write lyrics to that kind of like cadence or like, like structure that he had like established. So it's, it's, it's not necessarily like the the sound of the words coming out of his mouth is primary, not the vo- not the lyrics themselves, um, which kind of gave like different meaning to the lyrics here for me because I was like, oh, he wasn't thinking about what he was actually saying; he was more thinking about how the words were going going to sound. Yeah. So that, yeah, well, that right. was <laughs> that was interesting, um, and made me think about it differently. But still, love this song. That's always, I mean, low key. It's a conversation we have had, but it's a conversation I've had with other people is like the relevance of lyrics and music and how it seems like it's changed a bit over time. Um, 
but in, in addition, how there's a point where sometimes people treat lyrics and, and vocals as mouth sounds. And here we have an example where the dude's literally saying, no, yeah, yeah, that's what I was looking for. Mouth sounds. That was part right. of it. You know, and I think it's cool. I actually think it's an interesting way to look at it and think about how you write music because, um, because I think there's an element of that in cadence and how you can find people. You, you can hear it in a vocalist. You can hear it in many singers who some will try to do spacing and how they and enunciation as tricks to fit their vocals in. Others are doing the cadence play where they'll rework it so the cadence works better, even if it sacrifices a little bit in what it is they're trying to say. Um, and I wonder how much of that is conscious and subconscious. And I think it's case by case for a lot of people. Yeah, Sounds for sure. Cool. Um, next song, Another Green World. This is the title track of our debut album, Another Green World. This song is also <laughs> Another Green World. Um, floaty, this is truly atmospheric. Uh, song drifts along in this really smooth way. And uh, I noted, interestingly short, because it tracks in at a minute 38. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of these, I just, I think of them as bridge songs almost. Oh, um yeah. And I know that he like was very, you know, obviously um, very focused and like these were not considered bridge songs. These were like truly just like noise, like like sound experiments. But um, it kind of I guess the way that I hear music now, I, th- I think of this as being like a bridge song. But that being said, it's it's really cool. Good vibe. Um, it's it's a cool song. I don't have much to say about this one. Yeah, good song. Uh, I think more than other songs, this is just like this is like roots atmospheric music. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, interestingly, interestingly, because of the way, and I wonder about this because I, I think it would be irresponsible to assume that the flow was not a consideration on this record this is the last song on the a side yep and the first song on the b side is sombre reptiles or somber reptiles somber how are you reptiles. saying you're gonna say, I, I somber? say somber i guess yeah This one was almost all beats and rhythms, uh, very slow, methodical, and it made me go, "Wait!" And I, th- a question for you: Is this record chopped and skewed for hip hop projects? Because it should be, right? Like, oh, I mean, it's definitely been sampled. Yeah, okay. you know, it's been sampled say, all over the place. Like, I feel like this could be truly 
just tore up in 18 different ways. And that this song specifically, I was listening to, I'm like, oh, this, there's just a lot of percussion across all the instrumentation. And I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. This one definitely has like a little bit more of a moving beat. Um, but it's still like that subdued ambient feel. Interesting yep. way to kick off the B side too, since you were talking A side, B side. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, this is this is one of those things where like now you look back on it and you're like, oh, of course, this has been sampled a billion times by a billion different people for different reasons. And yeah, it's it's there's there's a lot here that this is just the like proto early, early, early version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like people have been iterating off of this like ever since really in different in different mm-hmm. ways. Uh, next song, Little Fishes. So this is like when I mentioned imagistic songs before, like mm. apparently when he would make certain noises with certain instruments, he would like name that instrument after the noise that he was making. Okay. Um, and I, and I feel like he was doing the same thing with songs because this to me sounds like, again, it sounds like a bridge song to me because it's fairly short. Um, no vocals again. Um, but it makes me think like, was he trying to make music that sounded that like replicated the sound of fishes or was he like, did he come up with the title little fishes and then try to make music to replicate what he thought fishes sounded like? Because it kind of sounds like that. It's like it's just a total kind of sound experiment. Um, I can't yeah, this, even say if I like love it or dislike it, but it's 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 cool. It's interesting. Uh, this is just straight up music from the Legend of Zelda. Um, <laughs> there's like uh, or counter. It could be music that's played at a Ren fair in the future. Um, it's wow! Like, there's like simulated almost synthy flute kind of stuff going on yeah uh, i was so distracted by it but then there's there's some kind of like bouncy parts and almost like if this was set to a, a video game or movie this is where like one of the characters is falling down a lot it's it's like very <laughs> awkward um i don't I dislike the song. on this one yeah yeah i don't dislike the song at all like there's elements of i really like this is maybe the only song on the record minute 30 that should have been more developed because I think it would have gotten to an interesting place. There's a lot of kind of like starts on this song that led nowhere in particular. Sure. So, yeah, which happens. It happens with this kind of shit. Um, Next song, Golden Hours, another vocals track. I think this is a great song. I know that you, you hinted that you have some strong opinions on this one. Um, I... I can kind of like, I can almost hear him saying like, let's not do what we normally do for like a Mm -hmm. vocal song. Um, There's no drums on it. I think the Mm -hmm. lyrics are cool, Um, but it's like a total turn from what he'd been doing with like, I guess vocal music we'll call it or whatever. But um, yeah, it's, it's a total turn from what he'd been doing previously. Um, and I think that's interesting. It's just it's an it's, a, it's an experimental song, but I think it it turned out really good. I think this song's really good. It's pleasant. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I made the Beatles esque uh, vocalist illusion, which was not trying to say the song sounds Beatles ish. But what it really made me think about was, like, have you listened to some of the like 
John Lennon solo material from the 70s? Plastic Ono Band may or may not be my favorite Beatles related record. Wow. Well, yeah. well, so I had to take that to my memory, some of the John Lennon stuff that went sideways that I'm just like, this isn't that listenable. I wish it had gone in the direction of this song because I thought it was experimental. Um, the vocal melodies are really familiar. Even if some of the song structures are trying for something that's like, again, like really left field. So it's both familiar and different. Mm-hmm. And that I always find interesting in a listening experience. So I like this song a lot. Um, maybe the this and I'll Come Running, two best vocal songs. I'll Come Running just is catchier and more tuneful. Mm-hmm. Golden Hours makes me more curious if he had said, okay, okay, okay. Let me see what I can do with this song if I fully expand it and try to do a record in this style. It would have been a neat experiment. Cool. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Um, Next song, Be Calmed. I think this is a beautiful song. This this to me kind of evokes the same feelings as the big ship. Mm-hmm. Um, like this really big kind of somber reflective tone. Um, I love it. I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for this type of song, which, you know, I think like perfected before it even was really a thing. But it's uh, it's great. I love the song. Yeah. Uh, Cosine might be. Man. Um, if it's not the best song of the record, it might be my personal favorite. Oh, wow. Um, it sort of has the, like, when it starts, <clears throat> in this section of the record I really enjoy, um, this next couple tracks, actually, um, it has a very 90s relaxation CD vibe. <laughs> because it, there's, a, there's a cold element to it. But then as you go along, it, it really does feel stark. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it feels kind of like a lamenting, like a post law, like you've lost something. And uh, when you get to that in music, I, we both are uh, are marks for sad music. Um, <laughs> this is is this the saddest song on the record? I think it is. I think it is. I mean, I, the big ship. I kind of think as being it can either be sad or not i just i i see them both as being like see the big ship to me really feels especially coming after the darkness of in dark trees i see the big ship as kind of man 
I see that one as more a rising up feeling, whereas this feels like a kind of... Um, for anyone who's ever dealt with loss or grief or any sort of pain, so so that's probably everybody in the sound everybody. of our voices, <laughs> there's that moment where you have to put your foot in front of the next, in front of the other, and then take another step and take another step. And there's a resistance in that. That's what this song feels like to me. Is that kind of like, really like, okay, <clears throat> nothing is right, but I need, I, 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 um, I lack anything to do but keep moving forward. So I guess I could apply that to the big ship, but this one feels more empty to me. No, that's perfectly said. I mean, but like, and and that's one of the points I wanted to make about the big ship. And I think it applies here too, particularly with what you just said is like the thing that Brian Eno does for me that not many musicians, artists, whatever do is like, yeah, he just, he put out a record. It's just music, but it like, it, it like, raises the hairs on my arms. Like it's like, it's so much more than music. It makes you think about things It like makes you like it, it really just evokes it's, it's, it's so much larger than, than the sum of its parts really. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think this, this song kind of firmly, uh, says that. So yeah, next song. You want to give it this title a try? Uh, Zawinol slash lava. lava. Yeah, I think that's that's right on. Zawinol slash lava. Um, like this is soundscaping, right? Um, yeah, it sounds like a movie score. Yeah, it's pleasant. Um, this is the one of these tracks that I'm the most lukewarm on, mm-hmm. but I'm still with it. Like again, I, it didn't overstay its welcome. It uh, it moved, and I, I felt good with it. Yeah, I think it's it's really good. It's like a really pretty piano piece surrounded by some spooky noises. Um soundscape vibe, uh yeah. which I think I think kind of hints at things that he would do in the future. Like he he did a ton of records called uh Music for Films, which I yeah. think there's three volumes and he was basically writing music to films that did not exist. And I feel like this is like an early iteration of that. So it's cool. Good song. Everything, Everything merges, merges with, the, with night. the night. Uh the last of the vocal songs. Um is this the most traditionally structured song on the record? Um maybe. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Uh this is the one I thought on the vocal tracks where he actually seemed to kind of weave some of the elements of the prior two tracks into the song itself. Yeah. And I was piqued by that. I was kind of intrigued. Um, fine song. Uh, not as good as Golden Hours. Certainly not as good as I'll Come Running, but um, but good. Yeah, I think it's strong. Um, I And I, I mean, but kind of to our point earlier about his vocals, I feel like this could have been an instrumental track and it would have been just as effective. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel, yeah. I feel like all the instruments work really well together and the, the vocals are kind of just, they, I could take it or leave it, you know? Um, the guitars are really the thing that set the tone on this one for me. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's a cool song. And like, more or less, I see this as 
almost the last song on the record because the next song, Spirits Drifting, just this like ghost ghostly ambient outro track that yeah. like it's fairly short it doesn't affect me all that much i don't have too much to say really? about it oh I, I i thought it was this weird i mean so this is the one that that to me harkens back to in dark trees okay um really dark sound uh really haunting again uh, it's foreboding to be the closing music you know what i mean like sure kind of kind of an interesting choice here as a closer um I certainly prefer it to the opener choice, but again, unique because it just kind of puts a spin on to what you just listened to. Mm-hmm. So um, no, that makes yeah. sense. I'm I with like it. it. I like it. All right, let's uh, let's talk this. Let's go in. Pete, is this is Brian Eno's Another Green World too long? Does it drag at all? I don't think it is. For a record that's 40 minutes, no, it doesn't. Yeah. As I as I said at the top, I cut the first song because I just don't think it feels with the rest of the record. But it's not on length. The record moves. Um, yeah, 14 songs. I think the longest song is four minutes. Yeah. And and it's none of them feel like... And that's golden hours. So we've kind of talked about that. Um does the album flow or does it feel disjointed or slapped together at all? I mean, I think that it does feel kind of, sometimes it feels, uh, disjointed. Yeah, it does feel (laughs) disjointed. I I said it feels like puzzle pieces that don't fit together. Yeah. But I think, but, but in a way, like I actually think that that works to its favor, um, because it, it's such an experimental record, particularly in the context of the time that it, uh, for me, it works. It, it it feels like you're kind of going through a thing with him, like while he's creating it, and I think that's cool. That like that works in its favor. Uh good read on that. I feel that too. The fact that it's the timing of the record is relevant. Um, like the when it came out, the fact that it is like with no bones about it, an experimentation um, enables some of that, like disjointed and not always fitting together, to be excused. But it doesn't totally flow. There's parts of it that you see, and as a genre, ambient music and lots of atmospheric music is quite literally designed to flow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's fun to see it as it's going through its learning t- phase. Yeah. Quality of the songs and lyrics. Uh, are the songs memorable? How do they stand up to their contemporaries? And I got to say, I don't know truthfully if there's a contemporary to brian Eno, it feels pretty singular I, yeah i think he's pretty singular um i i think all of this holds up very well yeah I, I i'd say on on my uh intros run here i enjoyed it lyrics the um i'll come running lyrics were very memorable and there was a couple others that stuck with me a few lines uh some of saint elmo's fire lyrics really kind of uh wrong um not totally impacting, but but clever wordplay and phrasing. 
I mean, I find that some of the ambient songs get stuck in my head more than the oh. lyrics themselves. So, oh. like that's that <laughs> yes. says that says something, you know? Yeah, no, that's that's my preference on this record, to be honest. For sure. So this is the toughest one of these questions: timelessness. Does this record exist in a time and place? Does it influence and impact spread much further? So to answer the second part, yes, the influence and impact spread much further. Undoubtedly, and it's yeah, obvious. This I kind of said this earlier, and I want to get your full take on it. This record could have happened, you know, five to seven years before, and could have happened ten years after. Uh, it, it set the table for so much that I couldn't see it because it's a starting point for for a lot of different sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, quite honestly, there's people who strictly listen to scores. Yeah. And I think this is a guy, Brian Eno, who was recognizing that and saying, hey, this is a legitimate form of music in a way, uh, an audio entertainment form that people like. So um, we shouldn't dismiss it or disregard it as not music. So I, I, I think I think it is of a time, but it's because it's a starting point. And to place it later, you can't you can't take the starting point of a race and put it, you know, three quarters of the way through the race. It just doesn't work. Right. I think that uh, this is kind of to your point before, um, does it still have an impact? Yes, undoubtedly. But I think it has such a profound impact that it's still relevant. Like, I think that if you give this to someone, some kid making electronic music in his bedroom now, like mm-hmm. he might be able to take pieces from it and like he would find something interesting or he or she or whoever would find something interesting here. Um, I, 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 I honestly think that this record should be on like everybody's shelf. If you're like a serious fan of music, mm. I think, I think, I think that there's so much here that's been taken from over the years that like, it's, it's a weird record, but it's like, I don't know. I, I I think the impact of it is so deep that like most people don't even kind of recognize it. So sure. so I in, might in not that, recognize it, it or might be ignorant to it, just not, yeah, not aware. Yeah, yeah. Which I well, exactly, and, exactly. And I mean, I, th- I think that like kids aren't reaching for Brian Eno. It's it came out in 1975. Why would they? Um, but I think like you know Hendrix was what seven years earlier. And mm-hmm. I think Hendrix's influence on contemporary music is arguably waning at this point, if you ask me. Whereas yeah. like whereas like Eno's influence on music is like super strong right now. So um I don't know. I mean, I do think it's still relevant just in that respect, where like we wouldn't be where we are currently without Brian Eno. So that's where I that's where well, I stand that. on that. Yeah. Um, okay. What are you giving it, Bob? Oh wait, last question. Oh, presentation, artwork, etc. How do you? What do you think? Oh, of it? oh, sorry. I like I it. Think- it feels very avant, and um, it's not. Uh, it's not like you know, rocking my world, but it, it fits. I love the artwork. Yeah, um, I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, what would fit? I don't. I don't really know. I mean, no, I think it fits. I think it fits really well. I, yeah. I, uh, what wouldn't fit might be a better question. Like, <laughs> like here. Okay, you know what. Um, I like you know what all right so to, to discuss the art it's um, some figures 
in front of either a window or a landscape, however you want to look at it, with a landscape behind it. Um, the figures are faceless. It's um, flat color. Um, again, this it, it seems to play off the music and kind of concept of this experiment, and I, I'm with it. So um, there's a lot to be left up for interpretation with the art, and uh, that is there's some synchronicity there with the music. So, you know, I'm a sucker for that shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> what am I giving this record? Jeez, Pete, we just talked about how this is super important and that I did enjoy it. And like, I'm only cutting one song and there will be parts of this that I go back to. And it did inspire me to go further into the Brian Eno verse. Um, but it's like, Oh, we, we need to, the next time we do a, a, a mailbag episode. We got to roll out the a new rating system. Um, <laughs> I am going to give this a three point five. Okay, Fair. pretty warm, and and uh, it uh, it's so so it's a three point five that I wonder if I should drop to a three or even a two point five because I have to be honest and think about how much I'm going to revisit it and sit with it. And it really depends on where I'm at more than more than the record's quality. Like if I have the, if I have tasks that I have to sit down in front of my computer and do, this is a perfect record to listen to. This is something yeah. you can get lost in. If I'm running around doing laundry and uh, taking care of a kid, uh, <laughs> less so. Sure. <laughs> what about you? Where do you put this record? Cause and I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out there, Pete. Are you flirting with like a four and a half here? What are you What are you thinking, Bob? I'm gonna give this record a five. Ah, there we go. All right, <laughs> I fucking I, love it. I, I love fucking it. love this record. Uh, I I I think that it's uh it's the the fact that it doesn't flow and like just the the insane experimentation on it like really works in its favor. I just, and I, I feel like, I don't know. I have a particular fondness for this, this record and Brian, Eno in general, I've been listening to him for a while. And like, he really changed the way that I thought about music and the way that I listened to music. Oh, that's um, so nice. And, and this particular record was a big part of that. So, um, I don't know. I, I would feel like I'm cheating myself if I didn't give him a five. And I just, I really do think that like, this is a record that, regardless of what you're into musically, like this is something you should give a shot. Maybe you won't like it, but right. it's something that like, it's, it's so, it's so influential and it it's, it's so singular that it's, it's, it's worth your time, you know, undoubtedly. So I got to give it a five and am I adding it to my collection? Yeah, I have it already, obviously. So. Am I adding it to my collection? If I found a nice copy of this um, on vinyl, I would add this to my collection for sure. Cool. Christmas is coming up. Maybe I'll give you a present. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells. <laughs> Everybody follow us on social media at TraxPod. And even more importantly, send us emails at TraxPod at gmail.com. Everybody, tie your own shoelaces. Goodbye. <laughs>